Education Bible School, and I want you to know right now, if you help participate in that, you volunteered your time, and we are so grateful for what you did, and so grateful for what God did during our Vacation Bible School. I cannot help but say thank you enough. Thank you, thank you, and thank you again from the bottom of my heart. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, come with me please to the book of Exodus. We begin our third and final sermon in this series titled, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've had a lot of fun with this series, and I hope and pray that this will conclude powerfully for you, and that you will be able to put it to work in your life, in your heart, in your family, and in your marriage. Now, if you'll notice, we've been focusing a little bit on dads throughout this series, because we're going to culminate next week in a Father's Day sermon that will tie some of these in. So please be in prayer for that, and open your heart to hear that. So I'd love to hear those pages turn, but it sounds like everybody's pages have quit turning. So let's look at Exodus 3. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Ready? The Bible says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, and we want to thank you for your word. And I pray right now, Lord, as we look into your word, that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, Lord God, that you send your spirit to have your way in each and every one of our hearts, Lord. And if there be anybody who needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, anybody who needs to get their heart right, their walk right, their relationship with you right, would you let this morning be the morning as we give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We are going to be looking at the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob this morning. It's our final message, I said, in this series, and we'll be focusing in on Jacob. Now, Jacob's an interesting individual. I didn't take the time to give you his Hebrew name this morning, so I'm going to go ahead and just tell it to you. His Hebrew name is Yahov. Yahov. You say it with a Y. Y-A-C-O-V. Yahov. And literally what it means is heel grasper. Somebody who grabs the back of somebody's heel. So I want you to think of two little boys, and one is running, and the other one reaches out behind a bush and grabs his foot. And what do you think is going to happen? That's exactly what Jacob's name means. It means the guy who trips you up. It means somebody who grabs your heel when you least expect it and trips you up. A better translation for today's modern English would be wise guy. That's right. So be careful when you name your kid Jacob. I'm just kidding. All right. Wise guy is what it means, or heel grasper, or something of that nature in English. It's a powerful, powerful name, and it means something wonderful in Hebrew life. Unfortunately, today we've lost that art of naming kids to go along with their personality. Now we just name the kid Tom or Bill or Harry, and that's what it means, Tom, Bill, or Harry. But in those days, they would name their kid Yaakov, Hitzchak, or Abraham, and those names meant something, and they lived up to those names. So, 
by way of review, let's take a look and learn and see what we learned from our previous sermon uh, as we look into Abraham. Remember, we found out that Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, the father of faith, if you will, to this day. And all the people are related to Abraham through Jesus Christ. And we learned that Abraham's descendants would be as, as numerous as the stars. And we found out what stars do. They shine in the nighttime. And they shine when it's dark. And we as children of Abraham need to start shining brightly in a dark, a spiritually dark America. We need to start shining brightly when people are turning to Satan. We need to start shining brightly when the world doesn't know where to go. You know, our country is lost. They have no direction. Why? Because the stars have quit shining. And we need to start shining again. We also found out that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And we found out that we need to be sandy in our approach. Sandy in our living out the gospel. Sandy in the things that we do. And as a reminder, I just want to throw this out there for you. You ever had a piece of sand in your shoes? That's the way we're supposed to be with the gospel. Makes people stop and get it out. The gospel should make somebody stop and think about what they're doing. All right. What did we learn from Isaac? Isaac kicks off when we learned that he was a loyal individual. He was loyal to his father. He was loyal to his father's mission. If you would spend time studying Isaac, you will find out that he goes behind everywhere his father went, almost in a circle, and redigs the wells that were stopped up, redigs the wells that his father dug, and reclaims those lands because he believes in the mission of his father. Father, he was loyal, and we also realized that he had something that is missing nowadays. He had a truckload of faith. He had faith, and we need to be loyal, and we need to be faithful like Isaac. We also found at the end of Isaac's story that he started substituting realism for faith. Christians do that all the time. When we say, I know my logic is stating this. I have faith in what my logic says. I want you to know that real faith is not logical. Real faith believes in the impossible. Amen? And real faith can change this world. And we learn from Isaac that we need to stay loyal and we need to stay faithful. Well, this morning, we're going to focus in on Jacob. Jacob's the wise guy. Jacob's the heel grasper. Jacob's the one who trips us up. And I have a wonderful picture for you. It's a little dark here, but if you take a good look at it right there, this is when Jacob meets Rachel for the very first time. And let me give you a little bit of background of what's happening here. Jacob, as you know, as we studied for Isaac, has succeeded in stealing the blessing. He has fooled his father Isaac into giving him the blessing. Of course, his brother Esau has discovered the, the trick, the hope. And he is now threatened to kill his brother, and Jacob is on the lamb. Pardon the pun. He is on the run. He is on the run. That's what lamb means into that one. He is on the run where he comes to his mother's brother's family, Laban, where he finds three flocks of sheep. Where he rejoices, and he often like me, like, why are they rejoicing? He saw three flocks of sheep. The only thing I would rejoice about is there was a barbecue pit out there. Amen? However, he rejoices, 
And he runs up and meets Rachel, and the Bible says he kisses her. And, well, you know, bada-bing, bada-boom, next thing you know, we have a wedding coming. So what's Jacob known for? We know he's known for stealing, a little bit of stealing here and there. So what did he steal? Well, his wife stole it under his protection, if you will, stole the idols of her father's household. Jacob's also known for lying. He lied to his father. He lied to his father-in-law. Jacob could tell a fib, couldn't he? Well, like this, that means amen in the Baptist church. If you don't do that, you're fibbing this morning. He was a liar. Lied to his father and his father-in-law. He also was known for doing a little bit of dishonest business. Wasn't he? Just a little bit. Just a hair, but not too bad. But just a little bit. Nothing like Laban. Laban was a wage changer. In other words, Laban would say, this is what I'm going to hire you for. And incidentally, two plus two really doesn't equal four. It's two minus two. You only get two. Sounds like common core math, doesn't it? That's what Laban was known for. Jacob was known for saying, I'll do this and get the best of it. Let me give you an example in Scripture for you. Remember when Jacob decides, you can change my wages. He agrees, you can change my wages, but I'll just take the young ones of your flock. But I'm only going to get the, the streaked and the speckled and the ringed ones. So when he goes and he has them breed, he puts all kinds of tree branches and he carves stripes and speckles into and of course, when they breed, all the young ones are born with stripes and speckles. Now, let me tell you right now, that's a miracle from God, because that doesn't really happen if you do that today. If you were to breed your goats today and set up a bunch of string, uh, stringed sticks, they would not show up with streaks and strings on them. God blessed Jacob in that. And Jacob ended up inheriting almost all of the bond's flocks that way. So, he's also known for that... Leah and Rachel thing. You know what I'm talking about? You say, don't get into that this morning, John. That's a scandal. Don't you love how we do scandals on Sunday morning? Scandal. That's a scandal all its own. We talked a little bit about Leah and Rachel. We also know Jacob that he had 12 sons and one daughter. Now here at Robertson Avenue, we have some big families. And we get some complaints. We get some complaining spirits sometimes. Say, I got four kids, God. Well, I got four kids too. But none of us can live up to Jacob. He had twelve. Twelve of them and a daughter. And one daughter. Well, I had four sons. And I can imagine what it would be like in that household for that one little girl. <laughs> Woo! Right? I had four sons, and my wife has never recovered. But incidentally, y'all. Today is my 23rd anniversary. Y'all give Betsy a round of applause. Thank you, sweetheart. 23 years, and thank you, God, for my beautiful and wonderful wife. But Rachel and Leah gave Jacob 12 sons and just one daughter. And that daughter's name was Dinah. If you read Hebrew, it's Dinah. Right? So one daughter. Could you imagine what life would have been like for her? She tried to get married once. Something bad happened, didn't she? All right, well, we'll get into that later on. Jacob's also known for the coat of many sons. He's the one who gave it to Joseph. Joseph. So then, we can see what Jacob is known for. Today, we're going to focus in on I am the God of Jacob. What made Jacob so special? What made him so noticeable? What would make him so wonderful that God would introduce himself as the God of 
of Jacob. Please understand what God said. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to this day, if you go to Israel, they pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And incidentally, that's the God we serve here at Robertson Avenue Baptist Church, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross for us. Why? Because He's faithful, He's true, He's loving, and you can depend upon Him. Amen? That's the one we serve. And He looked at this Jacob, and he looked back to his wise God. He said, that boy, that young man, that wise guy, I love that guy. Let me tell you something. God loves a little bit of the wild stuff. You a wild guy this morning in the pew? That's right. I'm preaching to you. You want to know those wild guys? God loves those wild spirits. God loves those wild guys, those wise guys. Because God has a way of taking those wise guys and making them preachers. God has a way of taking those wild men and making them beacons. Amen? God's got a way of taking those hill graspers and making them Jacob so special that God would introduce himself in the future as God Jacob. I want to look at just three points today. Let's take a look at Jacob's ladder, Jacob wrestling with the angel and with God, and let's take a look at how Jacob treated his son. All right, turn with me, please, to the book of Genesis. Genesis, if you're a Hebrew guy this morning. Genesis chapter 48. And let's look in Jacob's lab. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 12. The Bible says in verse 10, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. And its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there's a picture of it for you right there. Incidentally, it looks nothing like that. That's just a disclaimer I always put out every Sunday for you. That's just kind of an artist's interpretation of what it may look like. And so there's Jacob. He's sleeping on the ground. He has a pillow. His stones were a pillow. And he's dreaming about a ladder. The angels are coming up. The angels are coming down. And the angels are moving up and down. And if you this, incidentally, if you read more into the story, God is going to speak to Jacob and say, I am the God of your fathers, incidentally. And I want you to know I will be with you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm here to give you the land that I promised to your father, Abraham. So what does Jacob's ladder mean? mean to you today. I don't know about you, but if I had a dream like that, I'd be quick up at the church telling my pastor. What does it mean? And how does it apply to Jacob? And incidentally, what did Jesus say about that matter? Let's take a look at what does that kind of matter mean. It means that Jacob was in a place where God and his heavenly beings were coming up and coming down, coming up and coming down, coming up It's a ladder or a staircase, however you want to interpret it. Either one is correct. It's an escalator, if you will. And they're riding up into heaven and coming down. And Jacob names that place Bethel, which means the house of God. He says, 
says, I've seen God coming up and down. And this stone that I'm speaking on right here is the very gate of heaven. And the Bible tells us he pours oil in our hearts. And he prays. And he says, God, if you will take care of me, if you will lead me, guide me, direct me, if you will clothe me, if you'll provide for me, then you will always be my God. What did it mean to Jacob? Well, it meant to Jacob that his God was with him. It meant that he had access into heaven. So what does that mean to you? That means, listen to me now, listen real close, that means that you as a Christian have the same access to the same ladder that Jacob had. That means you can talk to God in heaven and God can talk to you down here on the earth because you've got to know where the ladder is. More importantly, you got to know who the ladder is. How does it apply to Jacob began to understand, God can speak to me. God's not just some far away, infinite, almighty being who doesn't care. No, he's intimate, he's personal, and he's right here with me. And let me tell you, that began to get scary to Jacob. It was scary to some of us. We think God doesn't see or God doesn't care. We think that God overlooks or God doesn't know wrong. God knows everything. God sees everything. God is involved in everything you do. If you started living like there was a ladder coming out of your heart up to heaven, that might change the way you do things. You ever thought about some of the things that irritate you? Let me get on a soapbox for a second. You know what irritates me? Help me help with you. What's a help me help with you might say? That's the person that has to get involved in whatever you're doing, even though you don't need any help. It says, let me help you. And then they take over and direct it. You ever had one of those before? You ever seen the commercials? You got that guy who's got a doctoral degree, and he's teaching people as they buy a new house how not to become their parents? Those guys are help me help with this, and they sit there with a the plumber and say, that's an adjustable spanner. Nice choice there, Steve. Help me help with you. They push button. That's that person that gets out and says, keep on backing up, keep on backing up. I got you, I got you, I got you. You're thinking, I don't need your help. I'm just backing up to the gas pump. I can see. Maybe. Because you're thinking, maybe I shouldn't see anymore. I'm just keep on backing a little bit too far. And they push buttons sometimes. But if you were to live in your life like there was a ladder coming out of your heart, all the way up into heaven. Would that change the way you felt about Because as a Christian, that's exactly the way we live. We live with a ladder, Jacob's ladder, coming out of the house of God, straight from our hearts, straight up into heaven. How many of you know what the Bible says? The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he says, Know ye not that ye yourselves are the temple of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit dwelleth inside of you. You are the house of God. And God's ladder goes straight from your heart all the way up to heaven. And angels are coming in and out. And Jesus is moving in and out. And the Holy Spirit's moving in and out. And if you start living your life like that, that'll change the way you behave, won't it? How does it apply? Jacob learned. Jacob was afraid. He was so afraid he worshipped. Isn't that amazing? We get afraid nowadays and we're like, I'm afraid to worship. No! You need to get so afraid you start worshiping. 
what did Jesus say about it? Look with me in John chapter 1. Jesus sort of represents that particular line in there. He speaks of the individual named Nathaniel. Look with me in John chapter 1, verse 47. Just quickly now. John chapter 1, verse 47 through 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Now, for a little background, a little understanding, Jesus is calling his first disciples, Simon and Peter, excuse me, Simon and Andrew, and James and John are all together, and eventually they reach out to Nathanael. Nathanael is coming toward him. He's already asked that question, Can anything good come out of Galilee? Because he knows he knows the Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. Yes, that's the same word, Beth. It means house. What does Bethlehem mean? House of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. Isn't it amazing that the bread of God was born in the house of bread? Just fitting, isn't it? Now, here comes Nathaniel. He's already questioned Simon and a few others. Can anything good come out of Galilee? Come out of Nazareth? And incidentally, Jesus is around everywhere. He knows everything. Nathaniel is coming, and he responds to Nathaniel in a very interesting way. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. You're not a liar. You're not a Jacob, buddy. Nathaniel said to him, said, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, I didn't really want to go off into this this morning, but I have to now. What are we talking about here? I saw you under the fig tree. How many of you know the prophecy? It talks about in the book of Habakkuk and the prophecies of Micah about during the times of peace that all the Israelites will gather under their fig tree and they'll pray for the Messiah to come and they'll pray that God will hear the prayer. And that's exactly what Nathaniel was doing under his fig tree. God, show me the Messiah. God, reveal to me the Messiah. God, show me He who will bring back the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus said, I heard I saw you under that fig tree. And Nathaniel, can you imagine the goosebumps that appeared on him? Nathaniel, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. This is what Jesus says in verse 50. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending upon the Son of Man. Why? Because Jesus is the ladder. You see, Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Jesus is the ladder that we need. You want to see what's going on in heaven? You've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to know what's going on in heaven? You've got to be able to get up on the ladder. And the only way to get there is going through the door, Jesus Christ. what Nathaniel was saying that morning. He didn't understand what Jesus was saying. You saw angels coming to the earth, Jacob? And Jesus was saying, I am the door. Could you imagine what you're going to see when you're standing at the door? Could you imagine the knocks you're going to hear? Could you imagine when the doorbell rings, who those guests are going to be? I am the door. Now, he looked at Jacob and his experience the ladder. And we understand that makes him a very important person in God's sight. What else did Jacob do? 
You know what else he did? He had a good old-fashioned wrestling match. When I first started reading the Bible and I read this particular story, in my mind's eye, I had Hulk Hogan, y'all. I am not kidding you. I know it sounds funny, but it was Hulk Hogan-style angel wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob, in my mind's eye, was a little bitty, teeny, tiny, frail guy. And you wonder what happened here. Look with me in Genesis 32. Let's read verses 24 and 28. Take a look at our second point this morning. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, if you have a new King James or an old King James, you'll notice that that word man is capitalized. And the reason why it's capitalized is because the author and the translator believe that they're referring to the Messiah there. And I happen to agree wholeheartedly. It's the Son of Man. Wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, the Bible says he capitalized again. Touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? Now, this is not a statement of I don't know what your name is. This is a tell me who you are. Tell me who you are. And understand what Jacob says. I am Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm a wise guy. I'm a heel grasper. I've been deceitful. I've lied to my father-in-law. I've ran for my brother. I've stolen. I've done everything I could possibly do. And please understand what this man says. Verse 28, he says, Your name shall no longer be called Wise Guy. Your name will be Israel. You have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Understand what this man is saying to Jacob. Understand what this angel is saying to Jacob. What he's saying is, your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because I'm with you. Why? Because I've touched you. Why? Because I've cleansed you. And I want you to know right now in the pews this morning that you might feel like you've been wrestling with life. You might feel like you've been wrestling with your sins, with your family, with not knowing where to go. You need to get a hold of Jesus because there's no other answer. But him, even though when you get a hold of Jesus, it might feel like you're wrestling around. He is the one who can forgive sin. For you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. This wrestling match is a picture of somebody who cannot come to grasp with, Can God forgive me? Can God use me? Can God cleanse me? And I want you to know, yes, he can. Even if you're a little hobbled in your hip. God can use you. Even if you're a little lame, God can use you. Even if you're a healthy helperton, God can use you. Jacob, your name will be changed from wise guy to Israel. Do you know what Israel means? The Bible tells us here. It means he who struggles with God. But more importantly, if you get down deep into the interpretation of Israel, it means the son of the living it means the prince of the king, Israel. You have been changed. And here's a picture of Jacob wrestling with our angel this morning. Not quite what I had in mind. I wanted Hulk Hogan up there. I couldn't find that, though. I tried. So we have this Jacob who has experienced a ladder. He's beginning to understand that God is interested in what happens in a mere mortal man's life. See, all his life he looked at his father Abraham and said, you're larger than life. 
You're greater than I'll ever be. You understand more than I'll ever understand. He looked at his father, Isaac, and said, I'll never have that kind of faith. I'll never have that kind of loyalty. I'll never have that kind of purpose. Until the day the ladder opened everything. And through that ladder, he met a man named his name. Well, that tells us a little bit about wrestling with angels. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, but we do not. I love the Apostle Paul because he loves his Old Testament. Listen to what he says here. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Though you may have Jesus in your heart now, and though you don't have to wrestle an angel at Bethel, but now you're going to wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Wrestling with them, and you can overcome them. Why? Because you've got Hulk Hogan beside you. You've got the best wrestler there ever was. Now, just to stop for a second, to get our minds right for our last point, I want, to, I want you to understand that inside of Genesis, there is a continuing conflict. And that conflict is brothers. There is a picture of brothers. It starts all the way with Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, do you remember what happened with them? They had uh, uh, their first murder there. Cain and Abel. And Cain was a uh, farmer and Abel was a shepherd. You said, what's the difference? Well, Cain brought forth the fruit of the ground and Abel let the animals go. They both brought their offerings, and God accepted Abel's, but He did not accept Cain's. There's a picture in there, and I don't have time to go into it, but I can tell you right now, if you're not bringing God His very best, then there's a problem. If you don't understand, it's God that does it anyway, like Abel did. Abel began to understand as he looked at those sheep and looked at that flock, that I don't do it, God does it. Cain, on the other hand, brought which wasn't the best. The Bible says God accepted Abel. Of course, there was some rivalry, the first rivalry that ever happened. And Cain rises up in the field and kills his brother Abel. And then he plays a joke on God. But God says, where is thy brother Abel? What does Cain say? He says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I his shepherd? What about Shem and Japheth, you know, the sons of Noah? They band together against their brother Ham to do something wicked. What about Isaac and Ishmael? They contested and fought for the blessing. What about Jacob and Esau, what you see now in the story we're looking at? What about Joseph against all 11 of his brothers? And we have this picture in Genesis of the younger against the older throughout Genesis. There to this day. It's a picture that's happening even now in Israel. So, that brings us to our last point here. Before looking at Jacob, we've learned that he has begun to understand that God is everywhere. God isn't just in his father's house, God isn't just in this church. God is everywhere he goes, he's in everything he does. It's a ladder, and it comes out of our heart all the way up into heaven if you have Jesus there. 
He began to understand that sometimes we wrestle with emotions. He began to understand that sometimes we wrestle with our beliefs, our convictions, our feelings. And if we will let God take control, we will find ourselves coming out the victor. You know what else Jacob began to see? Jacob began to do something his father did. Both of his fathers did. God called it a generational curse. And I want you to know that you don't have to be victim to that anymore. You might be sitting there in the pew this morning saying, I can't help it, God. I'm an alcoholic because my father was an alcoholic. I slapped my wife because my father slapped my mom. I'm mean to my children because my father was mean to my children. I'm mean because my mom was mean. I've done this. I know you don't have to be a part of those generational curses anymore. And Jacob is going to show us what happens when we hold on to those generational curses. See, Abraham had a favorite son, didn't he? You know who it was? It was Isaac. And it passed down through the generations to Isaac, who had a favorite son. Who was that favorite son? It wasn't Jacob. It was Esau. Why? Why was it Esau? Because Esau was a rough, tough guy. And Jacob was a person who stayed behind as a farmer. Stayed behind and studied the Scriptures. He was wimpy in Isaac's eyes. And Isaac wanted a big, tough, rough guy like his father Abraham. Abraham was no wimp, y'all. Abraham took an army and delivered his cousin from the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, y'all. That's right. Abraham was a rough, tough guy, and he wanted his son to follow in his family's footsteps. And he took a look at that little, old, wimpy Jacob, and he was like, that's not my favorite boy. And you know what? Those thoughts and those feelings carried on into Jacob. Because you know who else had a favorite son? Jacob did where did he learn that from? You know where he learned it from. From his grandfather, from his father. And now, Joseph is learning it. Let me tell you, Joseph learned it the hard way, but we're not going to focus in on Joseph this morning. But Jacob had a favorite son, too. Take a look at me in Genesis 37, verses 3 through 4. We're coming close to an end now. Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 4. The Bible says that Israel loved them. More than all his children. Remember, his name has been changed to Israel. The Bible tells us, verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. If you're one of those who says, i got a favorite child, let me tell you what it does for your other children. It creates resentment. It creates jealousy. It creates conflict where there should be none. You should be able to look at your mom and your dad and say, that's perfect love. That's unfair love. That's love that's given to me whether I deserve it or not. You should be able to look at your children and say, I love them all equally. Everyone's different, but I love them all equally. The Bible tells us in verse 3 that Israel loved Joseph more than all children because he was the son of his old age. Not, not to mention, if you'll read through the rest of the story, you'll find out that Joseph is the son of one of his well, his favorite wife. The Bible tells us he made him a tunic of many colors. Please understand the word many there is in italics. And the reason why it's in italics is because it may not be many colors. The word in Hebrew there is beautiful. Whether or not many colors are beautiful is irrelevant to me. What should be there is beautiful. He made him a beautiful coat. 
And that beautiful coat was a symbol. It was a symbol of his father's love. It was a symbol of his authority. It was a symbol of his position, his power, his status. And he lorded it over his brothers. He did. To the point where they would just enjoy it. Look with me again in verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Why was that happening? Because Jacob loved Joseph more than the other brothers. We have a picture here of Jacob giving the coat to his son Joseph. He gave a coat of many colors there. I like to look at those things and I like to have them in there. Jacob the sheep. Jacob the powerful man. Jacob the rich man gives only one coat only one son. The church, what does that mean for us? How many of us know that our children do what they see us do? If you lie, they will lie. If you steal, they will steal. If you cheat, they will cheat. But we don't have to teach those generational curses. We don't have to teach them. We can say goodbye to them However, how does this work for us? I want to talk to you a little bit about that. If you do know anything about the New Testament, you know Jesus too had a beautiful coat. Jesus too had a seamless purple robe that was beautiful. It was so beautiful that as the scripture fiction, the Roman soldiers cast lots for it. They gambled for it. Who was going to have it? Think about lots as in crafts, y'all. They played crafts to see who rolled lucky number seven to get it. They put it on and said, let's not tear it. Let's not ruin it. Because whoever gets this is going to be set for a long time. It was sellable. It was something they could put on eBay or Amazon and get a lot of money for. How does this message work for us? We've seen a man who had a ladder experience. We've seen a man who had a wrestling match. And we see a man who's given a coat. What does that mean for us? The Bible tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 9 that Jesus is the door. We talked a little bit about that. Jesus is the ladder. He is the door. Jesus is the answer. You want to have that relationship up in heaven? You want to be able to talk to God and have God talk to you? Then you've got to have the ladder. You've got to have the door. In fact, the Bible tells us in John 10 and verse 9 that nobody can come in by any other way. And if anybody even tries to come in any other way, there are thieves and there are liars. Guess what they are? Jacob. they got to have a name change. Right? you got to have a name change. Anybody sitting there this morning saying, I need something changed in me, Pastor. Yes, you do. You need to be born again. You need to be born again. You need to have the ability to have a ladder set up in your house of God going all the way up to heaven. You've got to have Jesus to do that. We also see this man who wrestled with an angel. He wasn't winning as in he was beating the angel. He just wouldn't let the angel go angel when the daybreak is coming said, hey, let me go. Jacob said, I won't let you go unless thou bless me. And the blessing he gave him was, I'm going to change the way you think about life. I'm going to change the way you see things. 
No longer are you going to feel like you're in competition with your brothers. No longer are you going to feel like you have to hate somebody. No longer are you going to feel like you have something to show or something to win. Instead, you're from Jacob, you're going to Israel. Instead of being somebody who grabs somebody's heel and trips them up, you're going to be somebody who wrestles with God on their behalf and wins. You're going to be somebody who goes into prayer for those who are hurting, for those who are suffering, for those who are dying. And you're going to prevail because you have favor with God. We also wrestle with God in our convictions of him. Joseph also gave his coat. Excuse me, Jacob also gave his coat. And that coat was a symbol. It was a symbol of Joseph's authority. It was a symbol of his power, of his status, of his position. He was the favorite son. And if you'll read through the stories, you'll find out that it wasn't but a matter of time that Joseph would go out to his brothers and say, Look what I got. That's right. I love that smug attitude Joseph had. Check it out. Not just that, but you want me to go tell Dad? Well, they begin to resent that quickly, don't they? Not just quickly. They began to come up with ways to get rid of Joseph. Come up with a scheme and expel him into Egypt, where he spent years in slavery. He had to spend years in prison. Then he spent years as a prime minister of Egypt. It's just changing for Joseph, too, even though he had a temper. And you might be sitting in that seat this morning saying, I've got a coat, I've got something beautiful, John. I just want to know what's happening. You know what? Joseph had something beautiful, too. What is that coat? Because that coat was a picture of a covering. And what would that mean to you? Let's say, well, I'm looking pretty threadbare. I need something to cover. You know what that coat is? That coat is Jesus. You need the beautiful coat. You need that coat that gives you position. It gives you power. It gives you favor. You need that coat that gives you authority. You need that coat that says you can walk out in the middle of your brothers. You can walk out in the middle of anybody and say, I can wrestle with an angel and win. You need to walk out into the middle of a desert place and say, even though nothing's around me, there's no trees, there's no grass, there's no water, there's no fruit, I know that He is with me and He will never leave me nor forsake me. Why? Because my God is with me. Joseph from a little king boy to somebody who is in charge. The Bible calls it being born again. The Bible calls it being changed from the inside out. How do you do that? Well, I want to show you how you do that. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 3, punishment for we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of Everyone who is nobody who is not sin. Not one of them. With that sin, though, comes the penalty. That penalty is just that. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's not go to the corner. It's not a timeout. The Bible says, for the day the soul sins, it shall surely die. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 6 and verse 20. If you've sinned this morning, and I know you have, and you know you have, you need to be born again because you have a debt now. You 
know how much God loves me, the Bible tells me. Will God save me? Will God put a ladder in my heart? Will God give me a relationship like that, even though I'm now in a desert place? How do I know if God will be with me? Let me tell you what the Bible says in Romans 5. It says, but God showed his love toward us like this. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us, even while we were yet no other proof is needed. No other action is needed. No other gift is needed. Christ died for you. And that's how he shows he loves you. It's a gift. Yes, open it. Yes, receive that gift. How did you do that? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Come down the aisle and say, Pastor, I need to put Jesus in my heart. Preacher, I need Jesus in my life. But perhaps you're one of those who says, Pastor, I have a relationship with God. I've got the ladder, and I know that God's moving back and forth, and I know that I have communication. But I've taken the coat off, and I put it back on. Perhaps you're one this morning that says, I'm a Christian, I have a good relationship, and I need a place to worship. Need a family to be a part of. There is none better than Robertson Avenue, is there? Time for you to come and be a part of it. Don't be a permanent visitor. Come and be a part of the family. We're going to have a word of prayer. If you've spoken to you this morning about your relationship, about your salvation, or about your affiliation, would you be willing to come and pray? Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, and we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that you take charge of this time, even now. And if there be anybody that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, or anybody, Father God, that needs to get their heart right with you, or anyone, Lord, that needs to become a part of Robert's family, would you let today be that day? Would you let now be that time with you? Bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Would you come as we sing? Jesus paid it all. Come on.